about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hadn't been with us. Uh, last few weeks, we've been imagining together what public faith could look like. A uh, public faith not driven by fear, but by a positive engagement with the world that incorporates not just our spiritual lives, but our engagement with the community around us, our club life, our soccer life, our work life, our community life, our apartment life, our dog park life, all aspects of it creating a witness, a political witness, to the coming reality of God's kingdom. Last week we talked about how part of that witness is a negative protest against a city that will fall. The present world run by the love of anything but God. We protest by living out a different love in a city that will fall, redirecting the spheres of our life away from the love of affluence and luxury onto a love of God and neighbor. But there's also a positive half to our witness. Not a prophetic protest, but kind of the prophecy of hope. The work of not just protesting to the way the world is, but about witnessing to the world that will be. And that's what I want to have a a little bit of a think about today from Revelation 21 and 22. I don't know if you know much about, you must know about Elon Musk. He also launched a really big rocket early in the year called the, the Falcon Heavy uh, in this specific launch that he's created a rocket that, whose boosters are reusable and through that uh, we might in fact be able to get to Mars. Now, the most theatrical moment of this whole launch was right at the end when the payload of the rocket released into the atmosphere a Tesla Roadster. And blaring in the radio was Space Oddity by David Bowie. It's beautiful theater. Uh, It's provocative. It's beautiful. Uh, It's a stunning picture of just maybe, maybe, maybe. We might find ourselves off to another world sometime. Just maybe, maybe, maybe. There's more for us than this fallen, broken world. Just maybe, maybe we might touch the stars. It's a beautiful, provocative piece of theater. A tangible taste of a beautiful thing that might come. I think that is what our task is in this world. To create beautiful, provocative, hope-giving tastes of what Jesus is about to do. Now, if you want to understand how to do that, I think you have to understand a bit more clearly the hope you actually have. And so in Revelation 21 and 22, I want to take you through two things about that hope, and then I want to ask the question of what we do with it, how we kind of create these tastes. Two things. These are going to sound really obvious, but they actually are more complicated than they sound. Uh, The two things are, This hope is a city, and it's from heaven. Kind of Captain Obvious from the text, but we'll get there. The first thing is that it is a city. You see that in verse 2. I saw, in John's vision, the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I think there's something very startling about this. The whole of the rest of the book of Revelation up to this point has been filled with evil cities. Babylon, Rome is a big, bad, violent city. And in fact, if you go all the way back through the narrative of the Bible, all of the cities in the Bible are pretty much the same. If you go to the beginning with Cain, the murderer who built the first city, or his psychopathic descendants Nimrod and Lamech in the the chapters that follow in Genesis, the, the people who built cities built them to keep God out and to create something else awesome instead. Then you see Egypt, you see Babylon, you see Assyria, these mighty, arrogant powers who build beautiful things but destroy as much as they give. The Bible's quite dark about cities, but all of a sudden, at Revelation 21, you see a city come out of heaven. You're wondering, what? What's that about? There's a twist in the middle of the Bible when it comes to cities. When King David takes up his throne, God makes a decision. He decides to live in a city. Jerusalem. A bloody war-torn military capital that David conquers on God's behalf. You see, God says, okay, you know that thing that you build to keep me out, to do life away from me? Well, I am going to invade that thing and use it to save the world. God demonstrates his utter victory over oppression and evil and all of the psychopathic tendencies of humanity by taking the very instrument we use to oppress and using it to renew. And so dramatically, in Revelation 21, you see a city, a perfect city, a beautiful, stunning city come out of heaven. John gets a tour of it in verse 9. Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the angel says. And he carried me away in the spiritual mountain, great and high. He showed me the holy city. And what you see of this city is that it is just stunning. It shines with glory. It has streets of gold. It has a a, a wall of jasper. It has gates of pearl. It has foundation upon foundation of beautiful, shining, cultivated minerals. Stunning, shining. It's a cube for the mathematical perfectionists among us. You know, it's supposed to be stunning. What God is showing in this vision is a stunning city, the city we long for. God not only invades and takes over the art of city, he perfects it. You know, there's two reasons why we make cities. One is to feel safe. And and this city has a wall that is 65 meters thick. It has angels guarding its 12 gates. That's a big signpost saying, this is an impenetrable city. This is a city that death will not enter, that disgrace will not enter, that shame will not enter, that oppression will not enter, that injustice won't touch. This is a city you long for. The other reason we make cities is because in them we build culture and flourish. This city is filled of architecture. 
It's filled with beautiful artistry. It's filled with cultivated human things. You know, that's why we build cities. You know, it's hard to imagine Plato without Athens, without the, the, all the intellectual milieu of that city being bound up against him. His genius grows out of that. It's hard to imagine Hemingway or Fitzgerald without 1920s Paris and Gertrude Stein and, and the whole circle of painters and writers and that whole jazz scene that grew up around that. You know, cities are the places where we come with something and we grow culture together. E.B. White, talking about Manhattan, said, The residents of Manhattan are to a large extent strangers who've pulled up stakes somewhere and come to town seeking sanctuary to, to find fulfillment, to, to find some greater or lesser grail. New York is the concentrate of art and commerce and sport and religion and entertainment and finance, bringing to a single compact arena the gladiator, the evangelist, the promoter, the actor, the trader, and the merchant. When humanity gathers in a city, it builds things it couldn't without it. It builds beautiful artistry from the imagination of thousands. It builds magnificent universities and builds great ideas. It builds military. It builds education. It builds an economy. It builds ideas about how money can spread and flow and grow. In, in cities, is a cultivation of creation and human potential that can't exist anywhere else. That is what heaven is. A city. Come out of heaven from God. Perfectly safe. A fulfillment of the idea of city that we have had but pushed God outside of. I have a friend who I've been talking to about Jesus for about 16 years by my account now. He kind of gets Jesus and he kind of really doesn't all at the same time. We keep chatting. Um, but he keeps getting hung up on heaven. He thinks the idea of heaven is really, 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 really boring. He has this picture, of, I guess a Hollywood view of heaven, of clouds and harps and kind of creation being left behind and blissful, you know, I don't know, eating Ferreros all the time. I don't really know. And he's like, you know, I want to stay on earth. I want to see how tech far technology goes. I want to see what could happen if, if we get to Mars, if Elon Musk gets his way, you know. I want to see how far this rabbit hole goes. I don't want God to wrap this up. I want to, I want to stay here. And my answer to him is... You're looking for the heavenly city. God's not wrapping this up. He's going to finally get this thing going. He will perfect the things that we long for. And all eternity will be spent in a city building beauty and truth and justice and architecture and science that cultivates the beautiful creation that God wanted to happen in the first place. The future is a heavenly city. It's a city that changes the way you work now straight away, doesn't it? If architecture continues, if economics continues, if justice continues, if science continues, you're not just doing something in the meantime now. You might be doing something you'll be doing forever. Our hope is a city. But the second thing is this. This city comes out of heaven. It doesn't grow up out of earth. You see, the reason why this city is perfect is because it's not built on human imagination and glory, but on God's imagination and glory. 
It's not built on human ideas. Wow. Having trouble here? Of peace and justice. It's built on divine ideas of peace and justice. In verse 3, we see that beautiful statement. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them and they will be his God and God himself will be with them and be their God. The difference about this city, why it's perfect, is because God lives there. He's amongst it. And you, do you see the effect of that straight away? Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's what happens when God takes up residence in a city. Everything gets made new. Every wrong is undone. Every loose broken thread is tied up. Every piece of death and evil and oppression ceases. Under the weight of his divine glory and perfection. Don't you love that picture of of God touching your cheek? so that he might get that solitary tear out of the way. God's individual recovery of every wrong, every story, every thread, of all reality, of every human story, his perfect healing and renewal of all things. When God is in your city, that happens. No human city can do that. It's got to come out of heaven from God. You notice how in, in, in 18, Babylon, when it went everywhere, it corrupted everything. But in, in 22, there's, there's a river that runs through this city. It's got a central park. And from that, the, the tree of life grows. And, and from that tree are leaves that heal everything. Corruption flows from Rome, but from the new Jerusalem flows healing and renewal of the whole earth of every nation. That's what happens when God is in your city. But it's even bigger than that. Do you notice how in 22 to 27, there's this this play on God's glory as light. It says you don't need the sun or the moon because God will provide the light. Jesus, the lamb, will be the lamb. And this this, this city will be a, a bright light that shines out and attracts everything to it. It's like this city is soaked in divine glory. From its highest point to its furthest foundation, to its width, to its height, its walls, its architecture, its justice. It's a perfect reflection of who he is. It's perfectly just because he's perfectly just. It's perfectly equitable because he's perfectly equitable. It's full of love because he's full of love. It's impenetrable because he's impenetrable. It's powerful and renewing because he is full of resurrection power an unstoppable life. This city is, physic- is a physical reflection of His divine perfection. The things of life, the things of this world can perfectly reflect His glory, His truthfulness, His beauty, His justice. You see, if you long for a perfect city, If you long for a perfect world, what you actually long for is Him. His perfection. His love. His justice. 
His glory. The secular dream that we could build the heavenly city is a lie. Because it will only ever reflect our imperfection, our lack of imagination, our lack of love, our lack of glory. But when God lives in your city, it perfectly reflects everything He is. This is a city, but it's a city that comes out of heaven. And so the third thing about what we do with this becomes quite clear. Because we can't bring down the heavenly city. We can't make the thing that only God can make on earth. Christendom is not a possibility in the end. We are not able to perfectly create what God will bring in. But we can help the world taste it until it comes. And that's our prophetic task. Helping the world taste the heavenly city in the midst of a city that will soon cease. Let me tell you three things about how that works. The first thing is this. The first thing you have to realize to be that kind of witness in the world is that this is not a city. This is your city. The heavenly city is not a city. It is your home. In verse 3, God says, they will be my people. In verse 4 of chapter 22, he says, uh, his name will be, God's name will be on their foreheads. In verse 6 and 7, as God cries out, he says, he who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, my daughter. Do you know why the city is called the bride of the Lamb? Because you're in it. Because it's your city. Because it's filled with the people of God. What makes this city a city is you. You see, the church only exists for a few thousand years of history. And then it's wrapped up, and we all become part of the heavenly city. That is our eternal home. You don't belong in Sydney. You belong in the heavenly city. Your desires won't be fulfilled in Sydney. They'll be fulfilled in the heavenly city. You are not home here. You are home there. You belong where it is. When it will finally appear. You see, it's only when you, you feel deep down in your heart and your soul that you belong there and not here. That you're a part of that city. In the present world. That you can take up any task to show the world anything different. It's not a city. It's your city. But the second thing then is, well, as part of the city that is to come, your task is to create almost tastes Samples, echoes, shadows, scaled-down models of that city to come. To help people taste what is coming. Like, how do, you, how do you get someone to understand that this is what the world is headed to? This perfect renewal of all things. I mean, at least Jesus could do miracles. That would help. You know, I'm going to create a world where no one's dead. Let me show you how it's going to happen by raising someone from the dead. 
Or I'm going to uh, end social exclusion. Let me uh, heal the leper so he can come back into society. It's heaps easier. But uh, in our task, what we have to do is, is grab the little parts of society that belong to us and to create within them tastes, shadows, echoes of the heavenly city. Let me give you some examples. Uh, there's a plaque just there next to the light uh, over in the creche uh, that marks out someone. At, and at the bottom of the plaque, I've forgotten his name, which is really bad, uh, uh, it says, remember the poor. And this was someone who lived in kind of the uh, 1850s, 1860s in Newtown. Newtown is just poor as, very poor for most of its history, not like it is now. And he was a surgeon. And what he decided to do was set up a surgery. He could have set it up anywhere in Sydney. He set it up in Newtown. And he provided simple, easy cost-effective care and surgery for a poor part of Sydney. You know, that is what God's going to do. He's going to set up shop in the world in the midst of the brokenness and bit by bit heal every single part of it. And so this surgeon in poor Newtown became a foretaste of what God is going to bring about when the heavenly city comes. He helped the poor and marginalized taste the city. Or how about John Fairfax? I've been reading about him in this, this book. I've been reading about evangelicals in Australia. And, and what he did uh, in, in the, the same kind of time period, there were lots of Christians with this vision, is he decided that one of the most important parts of society are the newspapers. So he bought the Sydney Morning Herald. And he created all these newspapers. He created this Fairfax empire. And he made it. Because he believed that the heavenly city would be full of truth. And so he created papers that told the truth, even when the government didn't like it. And who told people about what the truth of the gospel was. A little different now, maybe. But that's what it was made for. The Fairfax Foundation still gives money away to Christian ministers all over this city. Or how about this company, Exceptional? This guy, Mike, who started this business, uh, had a sister with Asperger's who really struggled to get work, and he really struggled with that journey that she was on. And one day he had this massive realization while he watched someone with Asperger's work. He worked in the tech industry, and he realized that people with Asperger's are awesome at coding. They are fantastic at spotting bugs. They are incredible at replicating patterns. And so he created this company, Exceptional, uh, and has filled it with people who are awesome at coding because they have Asperger's and they create amazing tech. It's a taste of the city to come, of marginalized people being brought into the middle of the city to create beautiful things, incredible pieces of God's creation. Or how about Lisa and Helen? Uh, they work with victims of domestic violence, women in this city. Uh, I just I read a stat recently that's two million women, apparently, and, and they found that one of the hardest things was helping these women find their way back into the workforce. And so what they did is they've created this set of shops. Uh, I think this is in the Illawarra. I can't remember. And they 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 get a woman and they find out her strength, one of her key strengths, and they take her into one of the businesses and they say, use your strength. And the, uh, they, they use their strength and they work out how to run the business and they say, okay, now take the business and make it over there. 
And one by one, these women are using their strength to, to realize that they're worth something, and they're heading out and creating beautiful things. This is Lisa and Helen's vision. They're hoping to, to roll out across the whole of Australia, pulling together the broken threads of people's lives into something that makes sense again. Does that sound like anyone? It sounds like what God's going to do in the heavenly church. It's a foretaste. Create foretastes in your classroom, in your workplace, in your football club, in your apartment block, on your street corner, with your street library. Help people taste the city because here's the third thing, the final thing that I'm going to say tonight is that we live in the age of invitation. In the middle of this passage is that beautiful statement, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Anyone can be a part of this city. We, we live in this age of witness because it's the age of the time you can become a citizen. But then in verse 8, we realize the sad reality that not everyone will. And it's a terrifying list because when I read it, I find myself in it. Because I'm a coward. I tell lies. And I worship things other than God. I mightn't be a sorcerer or a murderer, but according to the list, I don't belong in the heavenly city. And now is the age when people can enter in. And why is it that someone like me, who, who should be let out of the city, is allowed in? Well, it's because finally in verse 27, the only reason you're allowed in is if your name is in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb in Revelation is the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is the one true citizen of the heavenly city. He's the only person who deserves to be there because he perfectly reflects the glory of God. And Jesus left the heavenly city, entered the earthly Jerusalem, and what happened? He was kicked out, shamefully, disgracefully killed. He was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. He received not just one death, but the second death. Why? so that you could drink the heavenly water and be a part of his city forever. You see, anyone can become a part of the city despite who they are because of the blood of the Lamb. And that is the reason why we create foretastes, why we explain the gospel, because the time is short and it's either the lake of fire or the lake of life. And our tastes and our words summon people to take up the, the invitation of Christ to join the heavenly city. And we are the only voice crying there until Christ comes. So I want to urge you this evening two things. One, if you are not part of the heavenly city, get some living water tonight. All you have to say is yes. Make me a citizen. And Jesus will let you in. And the second thing is, take what you have and create a taste. A taste that invites into that kingdom. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you tonight in awe of this vision of what you are about to bring, this city that we could not bring, but the city that you mercifully will bring, perfect in glory and renewal and love, centered on you, not on us. 
And Father, for those in the room tonight who aren't sure if they're citizens, but they want to be, Father, they say yes to the water of life. They say yes to the blood of the Lamb. Write their name in the book of life. And Father, stir up in us tonight imagination, vision, for tastes that we can bring into this world of the heavenly city. That our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors might taste and hear and join us. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.